0: Testing, testing. Mom on. One two, one two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone pick a <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello, anybody there? Why are we here? figure it out together that's fun just to come play play in the podverse. first what are we doing this is the turning of the bones podcast hello hello welcome to another episode of the turning of the bones podcast this is the fourth of february how are y'all doing you wondrous wallies you delicious darrels you vivacious valentinas you superb stevens <laughs> hope you all are doing well hope this finds you exactly how it needs to another episode of the turning of the bones podcast recording here in denver colorado we are coming out of a, a cold snap. Got a lot of snow. Was nice. Got some snow day vibes. Made some good food. Uh, just really kind of hunkered down. Ate leftovers. Had coffee and read. Did some work this week. Just been it's been hustling along. Uh, yeah, it's really it's really been nice to get out in the snow, get bundled up like a little kid, and uh, do your your snow waddle. And yeah, that's what's going on here in Denver. A little icy, a little freezing. I think most of the country might be having this, but the good news is I've noticed a shift in the sun. And also I still have this uh, kind of winter tickle in my throat. Uh, so excuse me, but yeah, the sun, I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but the sun, they're like about three months where the axis of the planet, the whole, the whole way the seasons work, you know, stuff I'm not going to try to explain here, but, uh, the angle of the sun is a little different. It, it if you notice throughout the fall, it kind of shifts on the horizon. Uh, I noticed this cause my altar that I meditate at in the morning faces East and so just kind of noting where the sun rises every day and watching it slowly shift about, you know, it looks like it, it moves on the horizon like a foot from my perspective over the course of several months. But then for like December, November, and early January, it kind of, it seems at least here in Colorado in the northern hemisphere, it seems like the sun once, once it's been about 11 or noon just kind of stays in the same spot all day. It just kind of hangs out there. It's a little disorienting as far as like circadian rhythms of being able to tell what time it is. And it, it, at least in my experience of it, it creates this kind of surreal lighting. You know, they call in Hollywood, they call just before sunset the magic hour, where everything's kind of got this really golden and warm light that is really good for film and kind of gives everything this deep richness in in film and I don't know, I noticed I noticed a similar thing when I got to go to Paris the light in Paris just stays really amazing for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and, hours. and it kind of made sense to me why so many artists move there, it just kind of creates this magical world and so there's this really interesting it's like time kind of slows down and gets frozen for those months. And I've never really been able to put my finger on it, but I've been hiking a lot this winter and watching the sun. And, you know, you use it as kind of a reference point for direction when you're hiking, but it would just kind of hang out in the same spot for hours and hours. And it, it kind of reminded me of that stillness, just that that kind of stagnant feeling that I can get during the winter. I don't know if y'all experienced that, but I've noticed in the past couple weeks, the sun's getting a little higher in the sky. The tilt, the spin of the earth is changing. And (laughs) I had the real... So in the past here in Denver, I've really... I've gotten excited. I've gotten eager for winter to end. Um, The dry, cold short days uh, sometimes the snow can linger like it has the past couple weeks when we get down into the, the single digits and I'd always get fooled you know growing up in Ohio March was spring you know it was, it was a wet month but it started to warm up and here in Colorado March has tricked me for, for, for 19 years and no longer March You shall not fool me this year. I know that we have at least two or three more months of winter, but the sun is proudly starting its ascent in the sky, which actually isn't true by the laws of physics because the sun just is where it is. We're just moving differently. But it gives the impression that the sun is kind of rocketing towards the energy of spring. And so with that, I've just been doing a lot of inventory, a lot of reflection, a lot of contemplation, I feel like this time of year is really good for that. Um, You know, taking some space, clearing my social calendar a bit, and it's really felt felt great, kinda just some internal housekeeping during these slower months. Um, Just kinda taking stock of what I've learned, what I've healed, you know and i know i talk about this stuff a lot but it's kind of just an ongoing practice and an ongoing thing and during this week uh last week uh Thich Han Hanh passed left his body um, which is he he was a, a buddhist monk uh did a lot of peace humanitarian work in the 60s 70s 80s 90s like just on and on and on um if you're not familiar uh, go get something, read some poetry, watch an interview, just a really gentle, beautiful soul. And I, I kind of wanted to do a podcast about um, just kind of continuing to build on this, this idea of compassion during challenging times. Um, <clears throat> as I've been reflecting, you know, I, I've, I've done some thinking about when I started teaching and when it felt like compassion and empathy was just flowing out of me. You know it's 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 interesting because memory is a funny thing you know my memory and my ego structure can dress up things differently than they actually occurred so i'm really doing a fine-tooth comb here with how i actually felt during these times but taking this week and reading some more Thich Nhat Hanh and watching some interviews and just being with uh you know this this feeling of a really beautiful being leaving the earth uh, he was really into compassion and how to how to work it and cultivate it. And I, by no means, pretend to be a teacher. I'm just uh, stumbling through this, offering my stories and my experience of this, uh, in hopes to connect with y'all about about what that looks like. And so, I was thinking about. I mentioned this in the last podcast how we exercise. The muscle of compassion. Um, In my experience, I was I was raised to believe. uh, Just kind of touching back on the family of origin stuff I mentioned, I was kind of raised to believe that there were good guys and bad guys. Um, There was there was, you know, light and dark, good and evil. The world was a very binary place. Um, You know, if somebody hurt my feelings, they were a villain. Uh, maybe y'all can relate to that and I was also raised with a bit of I would say narcissistic input where you know if if somebody you know you're a little better than other people you know and some of that is white supremacy some of that is you know having an addict and a, a narcissist for a father um and getting this kind of impression, then, you know, I took the reins and I built that up and I'm accountable for that behavior inside of myself these days um, now that I've kind of recognized the origin. So just to give you some context of, like, the arc of this story that I'm about to tell. So I, I very much blamed people when I was growing up. I don't think that's uncommon, but it continued well into my 20s, into my 30s. It's something I still work on every day, doing taking stock of like what's mine, what's other people's. Um, but the story I want to tell I think I've mentioned that I worked in a treatment facility, uh, it's a school for traumatized people uh, where they can receive extra therapeutic support while getting an education, and so. I was really drawn towards working with uh, students with special needs, neural divergence, um, and trauma, basically. Like I just noticed when I was getting my master's and I would do observations, I was really drawn to the students who were struggling. And I think that's because I saw myself in them. And there was this whole healing arc that I didn't know I was about to start on. Um, But while I was teaching in the treatment facility, I, uh, like each student will have a therapist and there'll, there'll be team meetings about that student periodically once a month. Um, cause the goal is to transition them back into the home with their families, uh, to transition them back into public education. And so what, what you do is you sit down with the team and as a teacher, I wasn't, <clears throat> uh, in charge of this, I would just show up and kind of give my observations. But the the therapists, uh, the psychologists, uh, teachers, and then counselors would sit down and there would be like a treatment plan and the student would have goals, right? Like determine like what they needed to work on. Uh, let's say it was uh, impulse control. Uh, You know, get a lot of students who just, I mean, anything they thought they did, um, you know, and I've I've kind of talked about the the way that public education, the goal of public education is to, and part of the goal of public education is to, is for compliance. And so this is a lot of compliance based, you know, like how do you get a student who is freely expressing kind of in a, a wild manner? outside of the socially agreed-upon norms of the structure of a schoolhouse. Um, how do you get them to sit in a chair? How do you get them to ask for a pencil appropriately? How do you get them to uh, ask for breaks? All this kind of stuff. So you would have these treatment plans. And they're really complex. You know, it took it took to help someone heal, they need safe people, people that uh, feel safe to them. And they need a lot of consistency and so you know that that's one example some of these these treatment plans were about uh manipulation you know like deception you know the way that i mean children do this they'll say one thing to one of their parents they say one thing to another parent they try to play them against each other it's a part part of it is uh appropriate neurological development you're exercising your frontal lobe you're testing things you're testing your boundaries um, but it can get a bit out of proportion where there's like extreme manipulation and extreme deception and you know these these things we were asking a lot of these students to do I started noticing inside of myself I was like wow you know I I don't think that I have that skill that we're asking, this 10-year-old, this 14-year-old, I don't think I have the ability to do that. Um, I don't think I always know how I feel. I don't think I'm able to advocate for myself. I don't think I'm able to, you know, not play people against each other. Um, You know, say one thing to one friend, say one thing to another friend. Uh, And I, I, I took a really hard look at that because... I remembered the teachers that I trusted were teachers that were consistent and teachers who seemed to have a steady emotional base, right? Like, you know, it's like kids can sniff out a hypocrite as soon as they turn, like, 10, you know, from miles away, and nobody trusts a hypocrite. We like, you know integrity and honor and these values that i think we kind of we all share for important developmental reasons like it helps us know who to trust and so i took a really hard look at how <laughs> how, how little i could do socially and emotionally that we were asking these kids to do and i think the the hyper realness and like the surreal nature of being in a treatment facility you don't really can't really understand it until maybe you've been in one or you know treatment or addiction or rehab or anything like that like these are very you know they're they're hidden from the rest of the world and if if you go into one there's this like In my experience, it was like the surreal intensity, you know, and there's emotional intensity, you've got violence, you have to learn how to physically manage students sometimes who might run into traffic, like they're really intense environments. And so I realized I was like, oh, shit, you know, if I'm going to ask, you know, whoever to do whatever, I better be able to do that. You know, I want these kids to trust me. You you heal by having safe safe others around, like I mentioned in the Inner Child podcast. And so I started doing work on myself. And I started looking at the behaviors of the students, whether it was ADHD or anxiety or PTSD or, um, you know developmental or schizophrenia like really looking at like all of these ways in which trauma manifests itself in behavior and in relationships and it really it was it was pretty fucking sobering (laughs) like it was really humbling to realize that like i had more in common with these students than I thought, you know, and now I'm at a point in my life where I I talk freely about my childhood and my experiences because I want to share it with others so that we can start to learn how to have these conversations, not to, you know, like, with my parents, like, don't want to rake anybody over the coals. Like, they only had the tools that they had at the time, and, you know, they got the examples they got from their parents, and everybody's doing their best. The goal is to, like, look at how we develop and, like, where do things break down. And so I remember I, I, I like, went home one night after, like, a long day, and I was sitting there... Uh, probably smoked a little bit of weed to decompress. And I just, I remember having this insight, like, you know, that could be me, you know? Like, if I was born, you know, to parents who were using meth or parents who were experiencing homelessness or parents with, you know, different mental health configurations like that could be me and up until that point like those people seemed you know the, the students the families like they seemed so other right cuz i was i grew up <clears throat> you know middle class white neighborhood uh in ohio like you know there was uh a juvenile detention center in my in my town that like you knew you didn't want to go there and now i'm working in one you know like and so, all of a sudden, I realized, like, there before the grace of God go I. And I didn't have that language at the time, <clears throat> but I think that's one of the things that I did, one of the, one of the lines from the Bible that I think is really important. Um, you know, not to, not using that saying to, like, engender gratitude or like oh I should really get down and be penitent to God that I wasn't born on meth but literally like that that could be me you know that I'm not as different as I thought I was up until that point I thought like oh you know this is the story this is the story my parents have told me about my family and my birth and all of a sudden you know and psychologists had told me about my ADHD and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, like, I do, you know, looking at the student, I'm like, I do that. I I have like a, you know, 33-year-old version of that behavior where I mask it and I hide it, but I do the same thing. I've just learned how to do it in a socially appropriate way. But at the root of what I'm looking at is still, you know, traumatic ways of relating to myself and the world and others, you know, that it's, it's not... It's that's not, not as healthy as I thought it was, and so it really got me thinking at the time. Like, oh, you know, like it. it opened up what it did. Was it opened up this wellspring of compassion? You know, I noticed that other teachers, you know, they would have favorites. They would kind of play with the kids, you know, in like you know emotional ways that didn't seem healthy for what we were doing inside of the school and. Uh, you know like a therapist having a favorite student who just would come hang out in their office where it's like okay this seems like you've got like a bit of a, a you know you're using this student for your emotional support that doesn't seem healthy and like you'd start to see like at least I started to see like oh if you don't do this work then you continue these behaviors into your adult life and really quickly like it just leveled the playing field for humanity for me it was like i'm not better than anybody else nobody else is better than me given the right circumstances i could be that human i could be that human i could be that human and it's i was teaching uh literacy at the time too and i think there's this transition and and literacy education where you go from learning to read to reading to learn and the focus becomes less like you know what do phonemes sound like what do consonant blends blah 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 on and on prefix suffix uh all that that really boring grammar stuff that not too many people like but at some point <clears throat> you switch over from uh, learning to read to reading to learn it's something you, as an English teacher, when students are ready, you teach them is to, like, make connections with themselves inside of the story. You know, how is that character? Oh, I felt sad, you know. And <clears throat> you're talking with students about, like, oh, yeah, like, it, it helps people retain information they're reading. If you can make a personal connection and you also start to see yourself in others. So it's a really <clears throat> great developmental tool for cultivating compassion and empathy. And I think I think a lot of us you know listening to this podcast know what I mean and we have glimpses where our heart is a little bit more open and we feel a little bit more compassion we feel a little bit like oh you know like I really can connect to that character or that person but I think you know during these challenging times right now like that feels a little bit more challenging and, and and something that's really profoundly moving to me about that is that it's not something we, we do by default. So it's like you can only beat yourself up so much for not knowing what you don't know. You know, like at some point you're like, well, I didn't if I don't know something, I can't hold myself accountable for it. But once you learn, then then it's on you to to practice it. And, you know, in my experience, it's like compassion and empathy. Like I mentioned in the last podcast, like it, it seems scarce and like there's less of it inside of me because I'm tired from this pandemic, late stage capitalism, you know all this social injustice, uh, just the amount of vitriol on the internet and social media. just, it's like, holy shit, you know, like, and I think this is a tangent, but like that's kind of a function of capitalism and the news cycle is to keep us afraid, to keep us buying, to keep us separate, to keep us engaged in, in the monster, you know, feeding the monster of economics you know, while a select few economists have knowledge and access to how how it works, and the rest of us plebeians are just down here like, oh yes, please interpret the Bible of money to me and let me have my pittance. Uh, <laughs> um, so it, it's, I think it's harder, you know, I use the HALT acronym from AA. Uh, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. If you or stressed or in a trauma response it's really hard to cultivate compassion but one of the best things it was so fun to remember this was like how deeply i felt that i could have been one of those other students and then it like kind of like it moved out you know like i remember when president trump first got elected um trying to like do this practice with him i'm like here's this asshole like i've just never liked him i didn't like him before i didn't like him as president i just i i just you know you get old enough you're like there's an asshole um but i was like you know i should try this this practice with him of like you know if if i if i was born in his circumstances why wouldn't i have turned out the same way and it worked for a while um you know, where I was like able to feel some empathy for people who are narcissistic, who maybe never got their parents validation or love, <clears throat> who are endlessly chasing for approval, you know, because part of that process is then spotting the times in which you've done that for yourself. You know, where you've you've sought the approval of your parents or other people or the world or the times where it seems like you have an endless hole that will never be filled inside of your soul. <laughs> and so. I, I tried to do it with Donald Trump. It was challenging. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Buddhist monk. I'm not just an average human here plopping along the path. Um, I'm not able to do that for all all beings yet. I'm still working on doing it for myself. And so, yeah, just for myself, I think, you know, part of this inventory I'm doing it's like I want to pause and get back in touch with that because it gave this richness to life it gave this depth of connection it was like easier to meet people where they were and not project where I thought they should be not try to analyze how they got there it really allowed me to be present in the moment with those students um you know, and for some reason, it's it's easier to do with children than it is with adults. It's like adults, you're like, come on, you've had enough time. Uh, but then, you know, once I've done it with people, who it, it's easier to do it with. It's like you can't start doing this shit with like Donald Trump or Hitler. You know, you got to start. <laughs> you got to scaffold your your practice with this. At least for me, it's like, oh, I, it's real easy to do this for a child. You know, they're they're closer to innocence. Uh, so, you know, start doing it with, with people it's easy to do it with and then, like, move it out. Um, and the, there are, like, tons of, of of practices that come from lots of lineages around stuff like this. Like, I'm not making this up. Like, this is, uh, you know, this is basic education. This is, like, inside of, I think there's a, a practice called Tonglen where you, like, imagine compassionate energy flowing i'm not going to give the practice if you get interested go look it up find a teacher take the right measures to learn that appropriately but you know you don't like you don't start giving compassion to your abuser because you're just like your your psyche's not not capable of that like you have to practice you have to strengthen the muscles you have to work through your trauma so i'm going to start with like you know people it's really easy to give compassion to um You start with children, animals, um, and just do a little every day and just, uh, you know, I'm trying to get that back. You know, really taking a minute. And it's hard during these stressful times to really think about, like, somebody else's life. Um... You know, so I don't know if you're like me, but I've found myself being way more frustrated with people the last couple of years than I was prior to the pandemic, uh, prior to the Trump presidency. <clears throat> and so I feel like I've lost a bit of my humanity inside of some of this. And so I'm, I'm going to work towards getting that back. And I wanted to read a poem that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote. Um, it kind of touches on this. And I just want to give like a trigger warning. There's a reference to some, some war, some, uh, physical violence some sexual violence. Um, but take not Han wrote this beautiful pl- poem called please call me by my true names. <clears throat> and I, I stumbled across it this week when I was planning this podcast and I really liked it. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, Please call me by my true names. Thich Nhat Hanh. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today I am still arriving. Look deeply. Every second I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosizing on the surface of the river. I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond. I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo, with plenty of power in my hands. I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true name so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. So a little just backstory, um, I'm pretty sure Thich Nhat Hanh is from Thailand and he was getting tons and tons of letters during Vietnam of refugees fleeing and reading and being with the stories and the suffering of others and the story goes that after reading um, the letter about the girl who drowned in the ocean after being uh, sexually assaulted by the sea pirate he had a meditation where he, he saw that like the circumstances of his life had he been born in the village that the sea pirate was born in with the financial situation that he he was no different than the pirate and um it's a pretty profound story, you know. It, it definitely it makes you pause. And I think for me right now in this time of taking a pause that's important to pause before I judge somebody um to pause so that I can take a minute to find compassion and empathy and I want to give a really strong caveat here that doesn't mean you know for me I didn't used to understand this Like, and I think I'm saying this as much for myself as I am for you it doesn't mean that you invite unsafe people into your life you know the chaotic energy of that is really unsettling and i used to think if i meditated hard enough if i prayed hard enough if i got enlightened that i'd be able to uh just be around it all and maybe you know that i keep working at this like maybe that'll happen someday but i'm not there so i'm really i used to kind of have this kind of god realmy delusion you know this uh i can handle it all and i can't you know i was i was overselling myself and my ability to be around uh, intense trauma all the time. You know, it wore me out teaching public education. I've had to set boundaries with loved ones uh, that don't feel safe with uh, friends who, uh, who go past boundaries, you know, that kind of stuff. And so <clears throat> that being said, it's like also really important inside of this to know where you can, Cultivate compassion, and where it's a little too intense, because things are things are challenging right now. So I uh, I think that's it for today. Part two to the compassion track. Lily is stirring on the floor. She is uh, <laughs> my dog is a husky shepherd cattle dog mix, and she when it snows and gets below freezing, it's like she's got three times as much energy and I'm sure you can imagine how much energy she already has. So the last three days have been exhausting with this pup. Oh my gosh, she just wants to play, 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 play. Makes me really wish I had like a, a ranch or a place I could just let her be outside all the time. I think it's time to get this dog a little exercise. hope this, <clears throat> this podcast finds you well. Uh, taking care of yourself. Getting uh, enough water, enough food enough physical touch enough enough love and affection in your life uh, sending you some blessings for your week and yeah this is a a crowdfunded podcast so if if you if you like it you can subscribe you can follow you can leave a review on iTunes all of that's really helpful to boost the algorithms and all of the dance that you need to do you can share it on social media and if you're really feeling called to support it you can uh, become a patron i don't have a tiered system it's kind of a a one one size fits all uh donate monthly price of a cup of coffee five bucks ten bucks a month all that really helps and uh helps my spirits you know someday it's going to get me uh i don't know what it'll get me there's a little bit of money in that account it's not a ton but uh i'm feeling pretty proud for a first year podcast to even be making money so thank you to all my patrons You can head over to patreon.com, www.patreon.com forward slash turningofthebones. Become a patron. I'll send you a little note. And yeah, enjoy yourself. Take care of one another. Be well. Turning of the bones. Bye now.